Welcome to the first This Week in Missouri Politics of 2021. The legislative session is off to the start this week, and we are here with the man who presides over the senior upper chamber in the Missouri legislature, uh, Senate President Pro Tem Dave Schatz. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate for being here. Yeah. So uh, there's folks that thought, well, it's going to be hard to get off to start with session. going to be a challenge. You have a bunch of new freshman senators. You have COVID issues. But compared to your uh, colleagues in Washington, yours went off without a hitch. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, and again, it was a little different than what we would be normally used to, but obviously uh, with COVID, it presented a few challenges, but we were able to be able to get uh, those new senators in, uh, sworn in, uh, get the process kicked off uh, with really not much fanfare associated with it. So it looks to me like almost like an SEC schedule. You're going to have to do a few things a little differently, yes. I'm sure. Yep. But at the end of the day, you may have to postpone a week or two. Well, there may be some times you're not in, but it looks like if you kind of be common sense about it, you're going to be able to get through session. I think I think what we know now from what we knew last year and just the, the way that we approach the process, I think is going to you know, give us some ability to make sure that we are going to be able to function in a, in a consistent manner. But again, we don't know what we don't know. I mean, if we would see a continuation of spike or something COVID related that may cause us to have to make some sort of adjustment, we, we're ready to do that. But I think the things that we have in place, obviously we've uh, made sure that we're live streaming committees, trying to, to mm -hmm. lessen the number of people uh, that are actually in the committee rooms, uh, making sure we have adequate spacing. Some of the uh, committee could meet in the chamber. I mean, we have things in place that allows us to put some social distancing uh, measures in place and again, some safe protocols and just making sure everybody's following some pretty good practices. Won't be long until I, I saw the state announced a matter of days now until some of your older members will be eligible to get the vaccine. Is that sure. correct? No, I think that's correct. I think that's good. Uh, and I think every day that we get, you know, continue to move down that uh, that road, we're going to be getting closer to, mm -hmm. to really putting this thing behind us. Uh, it's, you know, and there has been a number of members in, in the uh, Missouri Senate that have already had COVID been exposed to it and so those members obviously are probably a little more protected from that perspective so uh, again I, I'm hopeful uh, you know that uh, we, we can go through this process without any real challenges but again we're ready for them if they do occur. Before we get to talking about the good things that are happening in the good Washington and Franklin County let's talk about that one out on the East Coast. Uh, I think everybody's jaw dropped this week when sure. they saw uh, people breaking windows at the Capitol, storming chambers, having to have guns pulled, uh, I, people dying. I, I you know, there has been, there's always been this take of Democrats protest. Sometimes those protests get out of hand. Republicans, law and order. I mean, you, you led defending an enormous majority. You were very active in defending those seats. Your biggest message was law and order. Sure. That wasn't law and order what those Republicans, those white Republicans were doing in Washington this week. Yeah, it is very unfortunate. I mean, there were there were many, many people there that obviously came uh, that were very passionate about what they believe uh, and, and came to peacefully protest. Uh, and then ultimately, and sometimes in those environments, it's, it's, it's strange how there becomes some sort of what I would consider a mob mentality, things that things people wouldn't normally do uh, that occur. Uh, I don't know that people set out with that in mind, but when that process started, people just don't uh, act responsibly. And again, they don't reflect the majority of the people that were there to protest what they believe was maybe an unjust uh, process. Uh, but again, it is very, very, uh, you know, challenging for me to, to any, you know, you cannot condone that act, that behavior, that activity in any shape, form or fashion. And so uh, those people obviously need to be prosecuted to the greatest extent that they can be. A lot of folks at Lincoln Day hear other folks say this on CNN to defend protests of Black Lives Matter, other folks, and they scoff. Maybe they shouldn't scoff so much because those are the exact sign of that's exact sort of rationalization you hear about when a protest about the police goes violent. 
That's exactly what, ha what I heard people, how they defended the events in Washington. Maybe folks will be a little quicker to judge now that they've had a, a group of white Republicans sure. go crazy like that. Yeah, it, it, again, it's, uh, you know, there, again, even in the, in the protests that we've seen across the United States uh, previously, again, a minority of those people uh, are the ones that are causing the problems. And it's not not the majority. Uh, and again, and that how do they even get off work to do that kind of stuff? Good lord! Yeah, it, uh, believe me, there was uh, I don't know the exact uh, you know estimate of the population of people that were there, but there was very very large crowd of, of yeah. individuals there. Uh, and again, it just completely uh, went awry and got out of hand for sure. Um, you know, there there was an event in in Jefferson City at the time you guys were going in. Uh, it was peaceful. I didn't see anybody. That, there was no arrest reports where nobody died. There wasn't anybody that stormed into your office and tried to break in. No. I, I, it, it was peaceful. Now, again, you wonder how those people get off work to do that kind of stuff, but it was peaceful. Sure. Yeah, I, I was, uh, again, relatively unaware uh, that there was any, anybody there. So, uh, you know, the, the events of the day, I mean, when, when all this was occurring, obviously we were in the middle of the process, mm -hmm. swearing in members and just going through the motions of getting the sessions kicked off. And, and so literally what was happening in Washington, D.C., I really uh, didn't get a full grasp of that until after the, the day's events had occurred and, and was able to sit down and kind of uh, take in what had, had happened. Again, uh, disappointed uh, that it, it really puts a, a black eye uh, on our on our uh, our nation as a whole of, of what's going on in the political environment and uh, the discourse that's out there right now. So, uh, there's been uh, jo Senator Josh Hawley, the junior senator sure. from the state of Missouri. He made a motion not to accept the results of some of the states. Uh, controversial to say the least. There's been uh, some of uh, more left wing newspapers and, and liberals in the state have called on him to resign. Uh, how does that strike you? Well, again, I think uh, Senator Hawley's objections to and, and again. Uh, what, what he believed to be irregularities uh, in the election process. I think there's a lot of people that, ha that want to make sure that we have confidence in our elections. If we lose that confidence in the election process, I think we, we will have uh, potentially lost this republic and this democracy. But people want to have confidence in that. I think Senator Hawley's objections to that wanted to highlight that, make sure that we address those objections. Uh, I don't think that in any shape, form, or fashion that Senator Hawley or President Trump was uh, wanting to see what occurred there or condone what occurred there. Uh, and so asking him to resign is just unfortunate from what did happen that he will be uh, associated with that process that occurred. But I don't look at his objections as something that uh, I believe is something that could be, uh, all of us would say, hey, we do believe there were some irregularities in the election process. And so we want to make sure that going forward that we have a fair election process that we all can trust. I'd question the judgment if he thought he should do it again, maybe. But I don't think you ought to resign over it. No, not no, I, I do not. Uh, I do not think it's uh, something he needs to resign over. But again, I think there are some political uh, costs associated uh, with his choices there, and, and we'll, that will, those will play out in the future. After seeing what happened you'd, uh, next week, you think you might stop by the sergeant arm and say, hey, we're good if this happens here. We, we, we got some plans in place, right? Uh, well, I, I would say that for one thing, after seeing what occurred there, I think that uh, whenever these types of known protests or, or, or gatherings are going to come, they better be a little more prepared uh, for something that could occur of this nature. Uh, I don't think we're going to be taken by surprise again in this process. Let's talk about the good Washington where people ain't burning stuff and shooting things <laughs> and breaking stuff in, in Franklin County. Washington, Missouri, yes. Uh, this session, I loved your speech. You started off with some quotes from former Missouri governor who were in tough sure. spots and you talked about how they persevered and they sure. they did they tackled big things for the state and the thing I've heard you talk about since you uh, came to Jeff City was transportation sure what is the path forward well I think that's something that we're going to try to find uh, I, I think we have some ideas I filed some legislation myself to make sure that we can have the conversation 
Uh, there's a couple ideas out there. The, there's a South Carolina model that we look at that uh, would allow for uh, to rebate uh, for a person to, if we increase the motor fuel tax, that citizens of Missouri could uh, apply for a rebate. Uh, and that's, that's an option that's out there that kind of keeps us under the Hancock constraints. We've had some legal opinions. We're looking at it uh, as that might be an alternative. Um, it's, if, if you look at something, again, I, I think that Mike always have, have looked at this perspective that we have a lot of out-of-state folks, tr truck traffic, you know, the interstates. Uh, a lot of the revenues generated from motor fuel tax is coming from people that don't live here in Missouri. Uh, and if we don't increase our motor fuel tax rates, then those people are traveling across our state at a discount compared to respectively to the rest of the states. So I think it's inherent upon us if we want to address transportation funding that the motor fuel tax is the, the fairest, uh, most uh, easiest way to do it. We've been doing it for nearly 100 years. And, uh, and, that, and that way it captures that revenue from those people that are traveling through Missouri, the trucking industry that's traveling through Missouri. That's the only fair way to, to capture it is through a motor fuel tax. Let me just ask you, I mean, I hear a lot of thousand air W-2 Republicans that are policy experts or whatever. They say, they, they talk about all kinds of different ways to do transportation funding, but honestly, you're a businessman, a very successful one. Can you address MoDOT's needs without more money? No, absolutely not. You know, it, it's, 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 it's very simple. You know, I always say it this way. You either raise the bridge or lower the water. You know, it's <laughs> one of two ways. And, and raising the bridge is, yeah. is increasing the motor fuel tax. I mean, when you look as a, from a business perspective, you have an interstate system that it takes a bare minimum to operate that system. And right now, the motor fuel tax is, at, we are at just treading water. We're barely to maintain the system. And when you understand depreciation, assets don't last forever. Bridges weren't built to last, you know, forever. And so you know that you have to replace those bridges. We have 36,000 miles of roads and bridges here in the state of Missouri that we're maintaining. As that system deteriorates, what I would call depreciation, you've got to be able to collect that depreciation so that you can reinvest into those roads and bridges. And without an increase in motor fuel tax, we're not going to be able to reinvest and continue to maintain the system that we have. It's a, it's a numbers game. And so whether you believe that's the most fairest way, I believe it's the most equitable way that the users of the system are the ones should pay for it, and that's done through motor fuel tax. So again, there's not another mechanism out there, but it's either going to take more money or you're going to have to decrease the services, and I, think, I don't think anybody wants to go back to dirt roads, gravel roads, or anything near that. But if we don't do something, that's what we're going to be faced with in the future. It's what we have to offer, right? Geographically, Texas yes. has oil. Florida has beaches. Missouri's in the middle. We have logistics. We have, kind of we we have, have the greatest advantage of anywhere in the United States of being located where we're at. We have the second and third largest rail hubs in the United States. We have rivers. We have infrastructure. We should be attracting industry to our state because we can, we can distribute anything uh, you know, throughout the United States because we're in the center. But without a infrastructure that can support that, then it's hard for us to attract the industry that we need. So I think it's one of the most critical issues we face is finding a funding solution for our transportation. It's funny, I watched uh, some of the rules changes that were proposed uh, in the Senate last week. Um, one of them was to allow computers that that did not go over. It was odd. It was like, you know, in the House when there's a gun, guns and abortion are discussed, everybody's involved. Yeah. The Senate looks like computers. Is there guns and abortion? Well, it, I don't, it, you know, again, we get back to the point where that train left the station some time ago. I was on the phone talking to an individual that knew when that rule, rule changed when they voted to have phones and allow for uh, iPad devices on the desk. That was a contentious debate back then at that point. And you would think the world was coming to an end. The Senate was never going to exist like it had in the past whenever that occurred. Uh, I would think if you tried to take those individual cell phones and iPads <laughs> away from them, 
you would think the Senate was yeah. going to come to an end. Uh, but the conversation to, for me, Scott, Tell was a story a, about your uh, was it your grandmother? It was my aunt. aunt. It's, yeah. it's my aunt. And, and, and to my point was is that we have electronic ability to distribute uh, these amendments. We waste tons and tons of paper, and it bothers me that we just we print things uh, continually throughout this process that literally get thrown from the printer to the trash can. And, and, and again, my aunt, I, I will tell the story that my aunt, you know, built a company from, from basically nothing to 450 employees. But throughout that time, they, 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 they had to protect every penny and every dime they, that they could at the process. And so turning their adding machine paper over, was that was part of the process. And so if you worked for them, you didn't waste your adding machine paper. It was not going to be wasted. There's so you, folks watching this that will think that's crazy, except my dad in West Butler County will think that makes total sense because no. he used to do it. And so she required them to turn their adding machine paper, use the back side of it because it was wasteful. And, and she still to this day does not tolerate waste. And so some of that has been instilled in me. It's like I, I just did not like waste. And so my, my desire yeah, my desire was, was not to change the process or anything, but it was to be responsible. Uh, you know, I can see a way that we can, you know, save paper and not just throw it in, in the trash by having some electronic distribution. Uh, and folks obviously still push back a little bit that we're that we're taking away from the traditions of the Senate by doing that. Well, uh, as a traditionalist, I hope you'll come back and we'll talk about uh, things later in session that are happening in the good Washington in Franklin County. Absolutely. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me here and I look forward to coming back. We'll be right back with our opinion maker panel this week. Representative Wiley Price will join us after this. All across Missouri, our new car and truck dealers are building strong local economies. When you buy a car or truck in Missouri, you're helping to support over 20,000 Missouri families who rely on the auto industry for good-paying local jobs. You're also helping fund our communities, schools, first responders, and our roads because dealers generate millions of dollars in tax revenue. Missouri's automobile dealers have been the foundation of our communities for generations and for generations to come. The Missouri Automobile Dealers Association, the heart of Missouri. For more than a century, the St. Louis Carpenters Union has shaped our communities. Through trusted alliances, we deliver skilled professional craftspeople while our business partners provide the kind of quality jobs that keep our economy humming. It's a blueprint that has worked since 1882. Turning Missouri into a right-to-work state stalls progress, wipes out jobs, and kills momentum. Right-to-work is wrong for everyone. Let's keep Missouri moving forward. Visit carpdc.org to learn more. Your energy needs are changing. That's why at Ameren, Missouri, we're not waiting on the future. We're building it with the Smart Energy Plan, advancing thousands of projects across the state helping reduce emissions through cleaner energy sources, boost reliability with self-healing equipment, and better withstand storms with new composite poles. Moving Missouri forward and bringing us all a little closer together. That's energy at work, Ameren, Missouri. Welcome back this week in Missouri Politics. First opinion maker panel of 2021, State Representative Wiley Price. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be here. Governmental consultant Garrett Webb. Welcome back, sir. Very dapperly dressed, I like that. Thanks, Scott. Lane Koch, Republican uh, strategist, activist, all things Republicans. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you. And Fred Canzaro, the president of the St. Louis Young Republicans. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. And works in the Capitol. Start with you. Uh, sure. You know the events that probably everybody's still thinking about was that what happened in the Capitol this week. You had a, a bunch of folks show up for a protest that turned into a riot. Uh, you work in the state capitol right. uh, for Senator Andrew Koenig. It was um, 
You know, I think maybe you had to have a little sympathy for those folks that were in there. I, I can't visualize that in my mind happened in Jefferson City, but I couldn't in Washington until this week either. I couldn't either. You know, I was shocked. We were glued to our television screens in the Capitol just watching what was going on up in D.C., and it was terrifying. There should never be uh, activities like that happening where folks, peaceful protests turn into riots and they invade the U.S. Capitol or any, any institution at that. Um, obviously, there's some fears that something like that could ever happen in our Capitol building. I think they're going to be taking a good look at security measures we're currently taking. Um, but yeah, I feel I got a lot of friends that work up in D.C. and, and you know, I'm sure they were pretty terrified that situation unfolding. So I heard a lot of folks, uh, Republicans this time, say, well, there were a lot of good people there that were peaceful. Mm -hmm. It was just a few bad actors. And I watched the faces of Republicans when folks, when a police protest breaks out and it turns right. violent and they burn down a a QT, mm -hmm. they'll say, oh, it's just a few folks, it's peaceful. And Republicans, when they say that, well, there's a burning down QT, roll their eyebrows and think, whatever, it's the fault of that protest. What happens when they're breaking stuff in the Capitol? Listen, I, th I think both should not be occurring whatsoever. You know, we, we have bad actors on both sides, right or left. Yeah. And, you know, we can't condone actions like this. I think that regardless of party, we, we all want to see this behavior stop. We don't want to see peaceful protests turn into riots. And when these circumstances happen, these individuals that are bad actors need to be prosecuted and we need to move forward. Well, Brad, I've heard uh, you say, well, no, it was mostly peaceful. There's a few folks get out of hand. And I've seen people on this show, the look on their faces, whatever, control the situation or don't have it. I heard now Republicans say, well, it was just a few bad actors. And I've heard some of them say, oh, it was actually Antifa. I didn't see any African-American folks in those pictures breaking stuff. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of video and uh, pictures. Um, yeah, it didn't seem that uh, BLM was too involved. No. Um, but I mean, I'd say that the difference here is is that it's it's this has been promoted definitely for the last six years. But I'd argue for the last 10, you could start with like the Tea Party and these organizations that have come along and been promoted by leadership in certain places and in Congress and in these people have, have promoted at these rallies and this is kind of the powder keg. This is kind of to me this is this is a symptom to exactly what we've been we've been promoting in the last ten years. Okay, well, if you're a Democrat, I mean you're shocked. Just like I think when you're a Republican and you see a, a, a police protest break out into violence, you're shocked. And it sets back the cause of people that are pro what they're protesting. It certainly took whatever you thought about the election and I, I mean it took that issue completely off and set back whatever cause they had for election reform that cause probably got the greatest setback it's ever had this week exactly and this was a series that was supposed to happen across the country of these these movements and i was in jefferson city you were there there was there were peace peaceful and and uh, and making their voice heard, their opinion heard. There was no rioting, there was no anger uh, storming the halls or anything like that. I don't know why it had to get so out of control in D.C., um, a building that I've had the honor of working in and love. Uh, it was just a shock to see that happen. And I'm glad that it didn't happen in Jefferson City and in uh, most places unlike D.C. I mean, if you're a Republican, I mean, whatever issues you've had with the election, I mean, that conversation I think is pretty well over. Now you may come back from, if people find some concrete evidence, but I just don't see how, you, when these protests go over the top, they always set back their message. That's right, absolutely. And you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, we need the patriots to, we need patriots to act, we need a revolution and so forth. And what's really important for Republican leaders to tell our base is that we do need you to get involved, but what we need you to do is to get involved in the campaign and run for office and knock doors Anyone and make phone calls. Anyone that follows your social media could probably guess what <laughs> you think doors. they should do instead of, pro yes. 
uh, could be knocking doors. Yep. Uh, I don't, how do these people get off work for this stuff? Well, you know, I've been politically active for about 20 years, and most of the people that are at these rallies, and these are retired people. These are grandmas and grandpas who are worried about the nation that they're going to leave well, for some their Well, some of the old kids. boys weren't grandpas. But the people that stormed that Capitol were not. They had helmets on. They were... Yeah. That was a different breed right there, yeah. Your grandma doesn't bring her gun and shoot someone nope. at her whatever, you know, her church picnic. That's right. Uh, but uh, politically speaking, I mean, I, mm -hmm. I think, Frank, mm -hmm. this is, uh, you know, some folks say this puts a bow on the on the Trump, Trump era. I don't think, I think, you know, anytime you're so close to something, you look at it and it gets dramatic. But I did see folks say that's the end of the Trump. Like, I don't right. see that. I also have seen some left-wing folks say Josh Hawley should resign. Look, you can, I'm not sure Josh Hawley can look back on this week as a great job, but I don't think he should have to resign. That seems a much. No, I, I don't agree. I, I don't think Senator Hawley uh, should have to resign. I don't know if this is the end of the Trump era. I think that it's going to take some time to digest what happened this week. You know, you know it, these events were, should have never happened. And I think we just need to find out, you know, what is going to be the future of the Republican Party? Our party needs to take a cold, hard look and say, hey, which direction do we want to go in the next two or four years? Well, let's talk about a place um, a lot of Republicans I know are blaming some of this election pushback. Look, Trump, I, I thought Trump should have had a chance to sue if he saw problems. The first time that, that states did COVID, they opened up voting differently. You were going to have some issues. I, I thought the president had every right to make his legal challenges. They didn't go anywhere. And, and I think the fact he continued, a lot of folks and some of these objections are being blamed on what happened in Georgia where the Democrats took the majority in the U.S. Senate. Um, yeah, I mean, what happened in Georgia, I think, again, is another symptom of the last six months of Republicans saying, don't trust the, the system of, of mail-in balloting, don't trust the system, and don't trust the system. And, and the Democrats are saying, please trust the system, be safe, go vote in, in the privacy of your own home and the safety of your own home. And after the presidential election, there was so much delegitimizing de of the election, I think it hurt them in January when Republicans just sat at home or didn't do the mail-in balloting. I'm just a simple hillbilly. I don't trust the system. Whatever the system is, I don't trust it. You were on the ground in Georgia. That's right. Uh, were you surprised on election night? Um, so Frank and I were both in Georgia. We are both a part of the Young Republican National Federation. We did over 125,000 voter contacts while we were down there just in a matter of a weekend. But um, when we were knocking doors and making phone calls, we saw a lot of support as we were turning out Republican voters. But I really agree with Wiley. Um, I think that the damage that was done by the president was that our voters did not have enough confidence. They didn't think that their vote was gonna end up counted. They didn't feel like the election in November in Georgia. We constantly were seeing tweets about, is a water main break gonna happen? And are people gonna be sent home or poll challengers? And so there was, there was a lack of confidence that it was gonna matter. And I think turnout was low. What happened? I agree with Lane and, and I agree with Wiley as well. You know, we had lower turnout than expected on election day and the Democratic base was able to get more voters to come out, especially black voters to come out than in November. And we were able to get less uh, of Trump's base to come out. Specifically so. black women. Yeah. Right. Would they have, would, uh, would uh, the Democrats have won without the early voting, mail-in, whatever they do? It would, was that the mechanism they used to win that race? I, I think that was very helpful for them. I yeah. think without the, the time frame for the early voting, they may not have won that race, those two races. Well, I mean, if you're a Democrat in Missouri, you're like, oh, I won the presidency. Oh, I won the Senate. That's great. Hold on to the House. Uh, but then you're like, okay, now we have all this stuff. That usually means disaster for the party in the midterms at the state level. Uh, Missouri Democrat Party that, that probably doesn't need any stronger headwinds, now they have them. 
Well, if you look at those majorities, they're so slim in, in Washington and it's so tight, it's not going to be a situation like after the Obama win when there was control mm -hmm. of Congress. I think you're going to see uh, President-elect Biden work with legislative leaders on both sides, and I hope that the legislative leaders on both sides come together and, and uh, talk to one another and, and don't go too far one way or another. We spent a lot of decades learning that process, learning it well. I mean, I think folks that served with him, you don't hear them say he was a poor senator. I mean, I think he knows the process, and maybe he does decide to reach out and work. I mean, to me, Dave Schatz, you're talking about infrastructure. Uh, that is something I was surprised Trump didn't do. I was too. We, he talked about rebuilding the roads and the bridges and everything. We never saw an infrastructure package that came down. States were begging for it. Mm -hmm. our, our national highways, our state highways all needed it. Um, and there's a lot of things like that that I think President-elect Biden's going to sit down and is going to say, I respect these institutions and how can we come together? And you'll have Roy Blunt there to make sure we get ours, right? I absolutely agree. Wally Price, uh, legislative session uh, uh, kicked off. Uh, I heard folks talk about something called 065, some sort of insurance waivers. Heard folks talk about uh, changing schools and th stuff like that. What's going to happen in this session? Uh, it's going to be a very interesting session. Actually, I actually have, we, I've just had this conversation with another colleague. We really don't know which way we're going to go this year. Uh, I've heard Wayfair. I've heard some insurance. Um, it's going to be a very, I, I would like to see some discussion about no excuse mail-in balloting. Uh, and absentee balloting. I think that, that, I think that we, we show that this works, the system actually does work, and uh, we should not be one of the 12 states that don't offer some form of early voting. You're in, uh, you're in rooms where people make these decisions about what is the best thing for the Republican Party. The Democrats make this decision based off how do they get the most votes, and so do Republicans is the way it is. Mail-in balloting, is it something that Republicans could use better and actually turn it into a positive for them? Well. Democrats historically have done a much better job with AB and EV chase, absolutely. It's not something, I, when I say that I mean absentee yeah. and early voting, um, it is not something that traditionally Republicans in the grassroots process have focused on and it's going to be two pieces. It's going to be operatives and campaigns making it a, a bigger priority. And we're going to have to do that, but also you're going to have to build confidence in the Republican voter. I pick up the sense though that Republicans haven't wanted this, therefore they don't put a lot of stock in it because they would like it to go away. Mm -hmm. If they hypothetically just decide in certain states, and maybe not Missouri, but other states, early voting is what's going to happen in this country. This is the new rules. Mm -hmm. If they just accept that's the case, are there ways to use that to their advantage? Yeah, we, we can use it to our advantage, but tr for us, Republicans really like to vote in person. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make sure that we're pushing for us what our people like to do. So it's going to have to be a change of mindset for sure. Uh, what do you think? I, I'm not sure after one thing about all the election fervor is they may not want to change voting systems and open that up permanently. That, that seems to me like one of the things that didn't change from last week was they're still going to fight that in Missouri. I think you're probably right. I don't think we're going to see an increase in early voting. You, you know? deal with young Republicans. They probably don't care about voting in person or not. They probably are just learning how they vote. Could you use it for an advantage to, to reach out to young people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and I think the next generation probably will want to probably have more opportunities when it comes to voting. Yeah. But, uh, you know, looking, looking in Missouri, I don't see too many changes in that aspect. You know, we had a very interesting situation with COVID-19, and that was one of the reasons why we had so much early and mail-in voting. We have a situation with times so with a minute left to win the week. Uh, I'm going to say Rob Vescovo. The speaker gave a passionate speech on the House floor upon his new speakership. And it was about his upbringing and upbringing in the foster care system. And he wants to make education choice a priority this year. I think this is year to get it done. Real interesting dynamic. You had the guy that runs a multi-million dollar business, an Uber driver on different sides of the capital giving speeches. Mm -hmm. Who won the week? Absolutely. So unfortunately, I'm going to say who won the week 
is America's enemies. I think this was a bad week. I think we are so divided. And what I would love to see is our country come together like we did after 9-11. One week. Representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman being named chairman of Children and Families, having the first two bills referred to her committee. I think it's a great start. One week. I want to say Stacey Abrams down in Georgia and the American people because our democracy did stand up to the challenges this week. I'm going to say Dave Schatz. He brought in Steel Shippy to, to fill some pretty big shoes with Klein Sorgi leaving the Senate. Couldn't have picked a better guy. Steel Shippy's one of the most, uh, some of the most integrative anybody ever met in politics. Do a great job for the state Senate. We hope you will join us next week here for our second edition of 2021 on This Week in Missouri Politics. Missouri Politics, sponsored by the Missouri Association of Career Fire Protection Districts, Spire, and Sterling Bank.